Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 154 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So have Nick back on the podcast today, uh, since Matt has some work commitments. So welcome back once again, Nicholas. Yes, happy to be here, as always. Um, so before we uh, begin, got a lot of news to dive into this uh, this week, Nick, especially with um, the Fed's moves yesterday. So uh, the Fed better hop oh, Fed right into it. So um, we'll begin with the pricing uh, for the month of the major indexes that we track, and these numbers are as of the market close on June fifteenth, and this data is from StockCharts.com and Coifin. S&P 500 index is down 8.28% for the month and down 20.48% for the year. The Dow down 7.04% for the month, down 15.6% for the year. The NASDAQ composite index down 8.13% for the month and down 29.06% for the year. IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index down 7.26% for the month and down 22.74% for the year. The Vanguard International ETF, X United States, down 6.41% for the month and down 16.4% for the year. The three-month T-bill currently yielding 1.65%, the two-year Treasury yield at 3.29%, and the 10-year Treasury yield at 3.43%. Um, so big news and current events from the past week, Nick. Uh, University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index came out, and consumer sentiment declined by 14% from May, continuing a downward trend over the last year and reaching its lowest record value, comparable to the trough reached in the middle of the 1980 recession. All components of the sentiment index fell this month with the steepest decline in year-ahead outlook in business conditions down 24% from May. Consumers' assessment of their personal financial situation worsened about 20%. 46% of consumers attributed their negative views to inflation, up from 38% in May. This share has only been exceeded once since 1981 during the Great Recession. Overall, gas prices weighed heavily on consumers, which was no surprise given the $0.65 cent increase in the national gas prices from last month. Um, so obviously, people are, are not optimistic uh, over the next year, Nick, um, and rightfully so, but we're reaching levels that um, surpass uh, the tech bubble in the early 2000s and uh, the Great uh, Recession in 07 and 08. So the outlook for people is is pretty brutal out there right now. Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway on the chart is that the current level that we're at is is well below the consumer sentiment levels of 2008 and, and like you mentioned, the, the dot-com bubble as well. So. Yeah, and Jenna will go ahead and throw this up on the screen for those watching on YouTube. And if not, uh, you can get it uh, at Jessup Wealth on Twitter or Jessup Wealth Management on Facebook and LinkedIn. 
the bigger topic I think that most people are wondering about, Nick, is uh, yesterday the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by 0.75%, moving their target rate from 1.5% to 2.25%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't really think the Fed had a choice, uh, really, Nick, with the recent CPI report that came out last Friday. Um, and so I wanted to share some of the stats of that report with listeners. Um, so this was from last Friday on June 10th. The CPI reading uh, stands for Consumer Price Index came in well above estimates. Uh, the annual change number for CPI was 8.6%. Uh, that was above the prior month of 8.3%. Fuel rose 106% year over year. Airline fares rose 37% year over year. So I think a lot of what we're seeing, Nick, is yes, there was inflation before the uh, war started in Ukraine. But if you look at it on a chart, uh, and in my opinion, a lot of it has to do with the war because mm-hmm. you see these inflationary numbers pretty much going vertical once the war started. Yep. Um, and when you think about it, the two biggest increases that we've seen is energy prices and food prices, mm-hmm. which kind of interlock together, right? Because oh, yeah. you know these companies have to pass these costs off. So you think about it from you know a trucking company standpoint is they're going to have to pass off those higher uh, energy costs to the people that they're shipping their goods to. And exactly. a lot of these companies are shipping, you know, food all over the country, hence why yeah. people are seeing noticeably higher food prices. So it's all kind of interconnected in oh, some yes. sense. Um, so again, I don't think that the fed really had any choice, but to raise by 0.75%, um, because their, their biggest worry is taming inflation right now. Right. And I think it's yep. important to remember that they have two they have a dual mandate, right? So one is maximal employment, which we're at, we're at full Mm -hmm. employment right now. And number two is keeping inflation near their target, which historically has been 2%. And obviously we're way above that right now. And I think the only move that they have to make is to keep taking money out of the system, the, uh, the monetary system and, and, you know, and raising interest rates. So, um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we, we don't see point seven five percent hikes a lot so I'll, I'll point that out to to listeners and and it's something that you and i were looking at i think yesterday was looking at what the mar- market expected of the rate hike and and interestingly speaking or, or interestingly um right after the cpi report came out last friday the market expectations for a point it was like 90 the upper 90s like 97 percent of the market expected the fed to hike 0.5%. Right after that CPI print, the market 96, 97% expected a 0.75%. So it just shows you how strong that inflation number is and the expected reaction of, of the Fed. And, and to your point, you know, they really needed to, to kind of step on the gas pedal, so to speak, just to kind of combat this inflation that as you've as you've alluded to, it's just really rampant and and price sparked from from the war and uh, the commodity the commodity markets. Right, so. exactly. And I was going to start with something else, but I think that's a good uh, segue into one of the points that I had. Nick was uh, a tweet from uh, Jerome Blockland on uh, June second. He tweeted, "Crude oil is back to 
$116 in U.S. dollars. OPEC agreed to increase the size of the planned output hike by 50%. He said that that makes a nice headline until you realize this is an increase of 648,000 from uh, 432,000 barrels a day with global demand at 96 million barrels a day. So in reality, it's only a 0.2 supply increase, right? So that's yeah. not going to move the needle too much. Yeah, and that that's pretty typical of of uh, of the oil space. I've seen that for for years and years, and they get the big headline number, but when you actually kind of dig down, it's oftentimes it's not as uh, much of a benefit to the supply side as, as you think. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah. Again, I think, you know, people are going to have to continue to expect higher energy prices until we get some sort of resolution out of um, the stuff going on at Ukraine. Um, and, you know, that's the largest input, to, uh, you know, consumer prices, in, in my opinion, and things are going to, you know, stay elevated until something happens over there. So yeah. um, next point I had was a blog post by Jeff Hirsch on June 6th. Uh, titled Remember June's Midterm Weakness. So we've talked this a lot this year about how midterm election years tend to be a lot more weak than non-midterm years. Um, so Jeff says, S&P 500 midterm year pattern highlights June's midterm weakness. Since 1950, June is the worst Dow Jones and S&P 500 months, second worst for the NASDAQ and Russell 2000. Selling tends to accelerate later in the month in conjunction with triple witching, which has to do with options that we won't get into today. He says 2022 continues to track the seasonal trend of midterm election years, especially two more ominous patterns of the first term midterm years and the second year of new Democratic presidents with late Q2 lows and a retest or lower low in October. Um, so, you know, looking at history uh, back in midterm years, tend to kind of find a bottom around late June, early July, and then kind of rally a little bit into early fall before we get uh, another retest of the lows before running up into uh, Q4 and year end. So again, I know it, it it's more magnified, I think, for people this year, but again, it uh, it is playing out similar to how prior midterm years have in, in mm -hmm. history. So um, you know, it's just more information. And if it wasn't playing out like that, that would also be helpful information, right? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, we'll have to see how this tracks throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I have, Nick was a snippet from a blog post from, uh, Nick Majuli titled how not to panic. Um, so he said, a friend asked me how I was able to stay calm during a market crash. I told him that it's because I've spent a good amount of time studying history and in doing so, I've come to realize that a lot of what we experience isn't as unique as we think it is. As the saying goes, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. One of my personal favorite quotes. Uh, and he says, in rhyme it does. The U.S. stock market typically declines by at least 10% every other year, 30% every four to five years, and 50% once a generation. And guess what? Since I made my first investment on July 6th of 2012, I've seen the market decline over 10% on five separate occasions, 2015, 2016, 2018, 2020, and today. That's five declines in a 10-year period, or coincidentally, once every other year, as the historical averages suggest. After such a frothy, frothy year in the markets, it makes sense that we would see a return to fundamentals. Unfortunately, the transition back sucks. 
It sucks because there isn't much we can do about it beforehand, and there isn't much we can do once it starts to happen either. Yes, you can try moving into cash or bonds early, but when exactly do you get out? Get out too early, and you may have to sit on the sidelines for years while markets rocket higher. And if you do get out, how do you know when to get back in? It's like it's psychological hell on the exit and the reentry, something that we talk about a lot, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why, despite writing about the froth in the markets last year, I knew there wasn't much you could do about it. Yes, you can still make minor tweaks to your portfolio along the way, but you mostly have to roll with the punches. So why would you panic? What good is there in reacting to something that you cannot control? This is how not to panic. You know history, you understand the risks, and most importantly, you know yourself. Then you let the chips fall where they may. You don't obsess over the headlines, you don't try to predict the future. You enjoy your life, you go out with your friends and family, you make cherished memories, you laugh, you cry, you remember that things like this happen, and you remember that they will happen again. So I think, yeah, the, the important thing I think to take away from this, and just with talking with people in the industry and people with not in the industry, I think the most common thing I'm hearing right now, Nick, is times haven't that haven't ever been this messed up. You know, things are worse now than they were in 08, 09, in the early 2000s, in the mid 80s, in the 70s. And I think it's just it's hindsight like bias. Right. So yeah. living in the moment, we always think that things are as good as they've ever been or as bad as they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but this stuff, similar things have happened before. And, you know, we haven't been in an environment where, you know, uh, stocks and bonds have been uh, weak together for quite some time. But it's not like it hasn't happened before and probably going to happen again. Um, so I think it's just a good a good uh, article and I encourage people to go read the whole article um, to kind of bring things back to uh, to square one and that. You know, we have to go through times like this, and this isn't the last time it's going to be tough on people. Unfortunately, you know, I'd love there to be a, a, a bull market and until uh, I, I, I pass away, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point. I really like anything related to history in general, but also, you know, financial history. And you can just take a look at the S&P uh, 500 chart and you know the linear progression of it over time should always give give people comfort right and and it's okay if you know a lot of things aren't making sense right now it's kind of supposed to be like that i think i mean just take yesterday it was only one day but the fed hiked rates by 0.75 percent and the winning index of the day was the nasdaq right and you would expect technology to underperform in a rising rate environment so again it was only one day but if you're out there scratching your head saying this doesn't make sense you know that's i think normal for times like this yeah absolutely so absolutely pass it off to you all righty so the first thing i have probably could have fallen i've got got four things here probably could have fallen in the in the headlines section but uh here it is anyway. Mortgage demand falls to the lowest level in 22 years. Um, the average contract interest rate for 30-year fixed-rate mortgages with conf- uh, conforming loan balances of 650 or less increased to 5.4% from 5.33%. 
applications for mortgage to purchase a home fell 7% uh, for the week and were 20% lower than the same week a year ago. Uh, refinance demand dropped 6% for the week and was down 75% year over year. Down, uh, I'll say that again. Refinance demand dropped 75% year over year. Yeah. Um, and I think just recently the, the average mortgage rates up above 6% now. Mm-hmm. So just in the, in the past week. Yeah. And this, I don't think this is too surprising, but no. it is, you know, it's a, it's a big number. It's a big headline to, to see mortgage demand fall to the lowest level in 22 years again. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that go into this, uh, consumer demand, obviously is the, the biggest one, but you know, the pressure in the housing market, we've talked a lot about this, uh, on multiple podcasts, but anytime you have this kind of pressure on the cost of financing a home in such a short span, um, you know, the numbers we looked at just a couple, a couple months ago, it was like, had you bought a house earlier this year versus buying now your mortgage and, and like a median home, let's call it like three fifty four hundred, was almost double, um, in, in certain markets. So of course that's going to impact mortgage demand. So that's the first one I have. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I just think, again, I'm still in the camp that, <clears throat> you know, we're not going to see, you know, uh, home prices get cut in half. Um, like I think a lot of people think is going to happen, but you know, with the amount of people that took advantage of buying homes in the low interest rate environment, there is a ton of people out there that locked in a mortgage rate of 3% or less. And those people, I think, you know, if, we don't get the massive job loss in the economy, I think they're going to continue to be able to pay their mortgage. So Mm -hmm. again, just relating back to 07 or 08, I don't think it's a situation where, you know, people are going to start selling their homes because they can't afford it. I think it's just a situation where there's going to be a severe pullback in people trying to buy a new home for a while. Right. Um, Because, you know, mortgage rates are, are pretty much double from where they were a year or two years ago. Um, But, Again, um, I don't, I don't see the, the the crash in the housing market, but you're already starting to see prices come yeah. in, and that and that should happen, right? When mm-hmm. when mortgage rates go up, there's not going to be as much demand for it, yeah. so it might almost give supply a chance to catch up to it a little bit, um, because again, I think it's almost inevitable that you know, we'll hike rates for a certain amount of time and then rates are going to get cut again. So mortgage rates will follow that and, and come down. Yeah. And hopefully by that point, we'll have more supply in the country to kind of level things out. So um, yeah. I'm expecting that's how it's going to play out over the next couple of years. Yeah. I, and I think the market is expecting rates to come back down again. And and uh, I, I should have looked at this yesterday, but uh, mid 2023 was the last time I looked. It might have gotten pushed out a little bit yesterday but that was uh pretty recent yeah um the next thing i have is uh, talking about the classic 60 40 um, portfolio so 60 percent equity 40 percent bonds um and how this is one of the worst starts for the the classic 60 40 portfolio um through the end of may um this is a tweet from um wifey alpha um, and it says, what a name. Yeah. What a name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely a finance guy. <laughs> um, and it says the following, uh, worst us 60, 40, uh, year to date returns, um, through the end of may, 
Um, and it lists the, the top five here. So the first one is 2022, down 9.8%. Uh, 84, down 5.3. 77, down 5. 02, down 2.7. And 94, down 2.0. Um, and so what we did was we went ahead and looked back 35 years. Uh, we used Morningstar Research uh, Platform and ran a 60-40 portfolio um, just to look at the historical uh, the historical metrics. And we used it, uh, the, the Vanguard 500 index and the Vanguard total bond index. And, uh, and so you can see the return uh, over there on the right uh, in, in your research. And it, it's interesting to look at in, in the context of, of historical standards. And, and the main thing that, that jumps out here is when you look at um, the worst years. Now, again, this is the full years. The, the numbers I quoted right at the beginning of this was just through May. Um, but some of the worst years, and this won't be too much of a surprise, 2002, uh, down 11%. Uh, 2008 down 21 percent mm-hmm. a little over 21 percent um, and then currently we're you know down 12 percent let's call it 11 11 and change right so one of the things that sticks out the most is uh is that next year following a down year and again this is 60 40 portfolio and you can see that next year pops pretty aggressively. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, in 02, it was down almost 11%. In 03, it was up almost 19%. Mm-hmm. Like you said, in 08, it was down almost 22%. The next year in 09, it was up 19%. And then continued to go up for the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10 years. 10 years, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's one of those things that it's like with any other strategy, right, Nick? If, if a strategy has one or two bad years, all of a sudden people start to abandon the strategy. Mm-hmm. And from my experience and my research and looking back on markets, it's the opposite of what you, you should be doing. And it's, and it's like, well, let's take ARC for an example, the, yes. the tech ETF with, with yeah. Kathy Wood, um, you know, was up what 500 percent in 2020 or something like that and it saw record money inflows into that fund so people tend to chase what has been working really well and expect it to continue and it's almost inevitable that the opposite happens right that it underperforms over the next several years so Mm -hmm. i think it's the same thing with this you're probably seeing you know a crap ton of outflows in the 60 40 portfolio because people are like up oh, it's broken it's not going to work anymore yeah the bond market's acting weird and right. it's not offering the safe haven that we're used to the, the 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 dynamics of the market are different a little bit right now so i understand why people are, are going away from it but i totally agree that it's not dead. <laughs> yeah. And if you think about it, it, you know, what you were saying with, you know, there's expected to be a rate cut somewhere in middle 2023. And again, that's all forecasts and no one knows if that's for sure. But, you know, this data makes sense to me because if we're going to cut rates, then bonds should start to do pretty well again. Right. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense if this year was a significant negative year and next year was a positive year. So I yep. think it's just another piece of 
data to show that I don't think people should completely write off bonds or write off the 60-40 portfolio just because it's having one bad year. Right. And, you know, the last time the 60-40 portfolio was negative was in 2018. And it was only down, you know, two and a half percent. You know, in the next three years, it was up 21.7 percent, 14 and a half percent and almost 16 yeah. percent, you know. So, um, again, don't let one bad year derail your game plan. So if you put that 60-40 portfolio in place with your advisor or you're doing it on your own a decade ago and you made that your game plan for the next decade or two decades to meet your personal needs, I would encourage people to stick with that plan. That's always good advice is, you know, when you have a risk tolerance and and you have a strategy, you know, stick with it. Right. That's, that's golden advice. I have to tell myself that sometimes in my, in my mm-hmm. accounts. I do too. And I don't <laughs> want people to think that we're immune to that just because uh, we're in the industry. We're both yeah. emotional with our own money just as anybody else is. Right. Sure, yeah. Um, but you know, I think it, there is something to putting a plan in place and sticking to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, the next thing I have is, uh, the cost of recency bias, and uh, this is a, a research note from Top Down Charts on on six six, um, and there's a chart as well. But the the note says if two thousand and eight hit again, in parentheses it says you will you always hear some attention seekers claiming this is going to be the next two thousand and eight. Every time the markets get a little bit volatile, be careful who you listen to. Mm-hmm. And and they're absolutely right. Anytime there's <clears throat> Excuse me. Anytime there's uh, weakness in the markets, spikes in volatility, concerns, and 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 uh, parts of the economy, without a, without a doubt, there will be some news uh, um, source somewhere that says, "Is it the new the next 2008?" So this chart's um, pretty cool. What it does is it it takes um, 2008 and that sell-off that we saw, and it charts it over top of different points in the market. So 2010, 2012, 2016. Um, where we've had sell-offs before. Where we've had some sell-offs and the news is saying, oh, is it gonna be the next 2008? And, right. and you know, did it again in 2020 and 2022 and, and, and whatnot. So um, it, it's a cool chart so you can kind of see what the market did and what the market would have done if if everyone's prediction of the next 2008 was true. It just goes to show that um, there's always going to be doomsday voices in the media, doomsday voices in the markets. Um, There's even a term called doomsday economists. I'm sure people are familiar with it, where there's these economists who are constantly... um, pitching the next great bear market and you know they'll be right but they predicted 20 and they got it right one one time so mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a good chart just to give some perspective yeah and Jenna will put this on our show notes and up on the screen here for 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 listeners and it looks like you know if if, if uh, for example 2008 hit again it would take us back to around the COVID lows in 2020 um, which is not that not that long ago. It's just a little more than two years ago, right? Yeah. Um, so again, I think people just have to understand that, you know, we might have been due for a little bit of a reset here, but, um, you know, it would it would bring us back to the COVID lows, but I don't want 
this to be a fear-mongering piece saying that we are going back to the the lows in in 2020. Uh, Personally, I don't think that's the case, but, um, you know, like we always talk about, some of this stuff has to happen every now and then, and we're in the thick of it right now, and it's not fun for anybody. It, It sucks, but... Um, yeah. has to happen and, you know, we'll get through it and come out on the other side of it. But, um, this stuff, this stuff doesn't really help when people are out there putting stuff like this out there. So no, not at all. Not at all. Okay. The last thing I have is a, is a silver lining on inflation, which, uh, sounds like an oxymoron, but, uh, here it is. It's a, it's a tweet from, from John Arthur's. Uh, bad news, inflation in food to eat at home tops 10% for the first time since 1979. Good news, if you want to drink away your sorrows, hard liquor prices are only rising at 1.4%. <laughs> you got to so. still maintain your uh, your humor during times like this, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so there you have it. If uh, if you want to know something good about inflation, at least it's not hitting the liquor stores as hard as it's hitting the rest of our wallets. Right. So exactly. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, all right. So transitioning to the financial planning topic of the week, this was a article in investment news by Mary Beth Franklin titled social security report projects trust fund exhaustion in 2035. And me and you talked about this on a short video clip, um, for, for people earlier this week, Nick. Mm -hmm. Um, but it just kind of explains the differences between, you know, how the majority of social security payments are funded, what the trust fund is and and what that all means. So I just wanted to read a, a short piece from this. So they say the continued ability of the program to make full benefit payments is analyzed regularly. And while the bulk of the funds needed to pay social security benefits come from payroll taxes, from current workers in recent years, the program has had to dip into the trust fund in order to cover the full benefits owed. Uh, This week, and again, this was uh, a couple of weeks ago here, uh, the Social Security and Medicare trustees released an annual report indicating that the Social Security Old Age Survivors and Disability Trust Fund will be exhausted in 2035, one year later than projected in last year's report. Notably, Social Security would still be able to pay out 80% of benefits at that time, declining to 74% of benefits by 2096. Further, the report indicates that the trust fund would remain solvent through 2096 if the payroll tax were immediately raised by 3.24 percentage points, from its current 12.4% to 15.64%. Employees pay a 6.2% contribution from earnings up to a maximum of $147,000 in 2022, which their employers match. Self-employed workers pay both shares of the contribution of 12.4%. Despite what some people believe, benefits would not go to zero. That said, there are many potential actions, including a payroll tax increase, that Congress could take to shore up the system which ultimately means there isn't really a question of what to do about Social Security shortfall, but simply a matter of what Congress will implement between now and 2035. So I would have to imagine, Nick, that sometime over the next year, something's going to be done about this, or sometime before 2035, something's going to be done about this, because 
I think it's a death sentence from a congressman or congresswoman to say, hey, we're just going to let Social Security go. That's not going to go over too well with voters. Right. So, again, yeah. they can increase the, the payroll tax, which I think is very viable, or they can they can increase the cap on that payroll tax. So uh, you only pay payroll tax on the first hundred and forty seven thousand dollars of income and they could raise that cap up in order to to fund social security so i just wanted to uh, demystify the claims that some people are making that mm -hmm. by 2035 social security is not going to be around anymore yeah. right um it still will be around in some form um it just it, we're going to have to wait and see as to how that's going to be handled in the future so um hopefully that helps ease some concerns about social security for people um again i would put my bet if I was a betting man that something's going to get done before 2035 so that the system can still pay the full benefits. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to bet 2034. Yeah. I would, <laughs> I would assume they'll, they'll wait to the last hour yeah. on it and it'll be slipped into a bill somewhere, but I joke, I joke. Um, so anything else, Nick, before we leave it there for, uh, the week? Yeah, that was that was everything for me. I hope everyone has a nice long weekend and en enjoys the holiday. And uh, thanks for having me again. Yeah, just a reminder: uh, the market is closed on Monday, uh, next Monday, uh, an observation of Juneteenth. So we will be back with you next week, later in the week, for episode number one fifty-five of the Independent Advisors Podcast. Hope everyone has a safe, cool and fun week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the independent advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.